Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Creative Tech Podcast, where we discuss how technology can help you to be more creative. This podcast is made by the National Centre for Creativity, enabled by AI, which is a bit of a mouthful, so we call it CBAE for short. It's presented by the Director of CBAE, Professor Neil Maiden. Neil, who's in the studio today? Today, I'm delighted to introduce a good friend, great colleague, and a leading advocate of interdisciplinary creativity research and teaching in the UK. Dr. Sarah Jones, a senior lecturer here at Arve's Business School. Sarah was very much a thought leader in interdisciplinary research and teaching long before it became accepted, let alone fashionable. Her pioneering work, which pulls together different disciplinary views of creativity, and explores how people from diverse backgrounds can collaborate effectively, has both inspired and informed our working practices at CBAE. She is a co-founder and, over the last decade, the director of the radically interdisciplinary Masters in Innovation, Creativity and Leadership at City, a course known affectionately to us all as the Michael. Sarah is also director of City's Centre for Creativity and Professional Practice, C2P2, which provides the space and means for interdisciplinary research and teaching about creativity at our university. Recently, under Sarah's direction, C2P2 has been the focus of growing internationalisation in interdisciplinary creativity research from Kyrgyzstan to different nations in Africa. 
So there's very much to talk about creativity-wise. Sarah, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Really looking forward to the conversation. So let's start off by talking about educating people in creativity and creative thinking. You still hear people claiming that we cannot educate people in creativity or teach them to be more creative. In your view, can we? And if we can, to what extent? So, yes, we can. We must. The world needs creative people. To what extent? Um, developing creative thinking is something that comes more easily probably to some than to others but everyone's creative and so we can work with everyone on drawing their creativity out through what we do in terms of um, education. So to what extent do people have this sort of latent potential? Is there something that's just beneath the surface? Is it something that we have to do a lot of work to bring out? Um, well, interesting that you use that phrase, bringing out. For a long time, colleagues in the Centre for Creativity, especially um, the lovely Professor Holtham, have talked about um, the role of education in drawing out people's creative potential. There's a lovely quote from one of our alumni that I sometimes use in, in talking to our students. She says that the Michael was about bringing her creative self out. It was there all along. That's the sort of spirit of what we do on the Michael, the Master in Innovation, Creativity and Leadership, is work with people from a whole range of backgrounds, with a whole range of kind of different levels of experience, including experience in, you know, what we might think of as creative practice already, to draw out, develop, unleash that creativity. Mm -hmm. So it's a fascinating course. Where did it come from? How did this course well, come about? So well, I'm sure we well remember the time mm, over a decade ago, 2008-9, when colleagues in um, City University, as it was then, were looking to work together in a research centre that was all about applied creativity, creativity in professional practice. And one of the things that we did very early on as part of that centre was to set up the Masters in Innovation, Creativity and Leadership, as you mentioned, an interdisciplinary, radically interdisciplinary, if you like, master's programme, looking at those three very related themes of creativity, innovation and leadership. Mm -hmm. So when you educate your students, do you think it's about giving them skills or is it about changing their mindsets? their confidence or is it all of those things all of those things skills confidence mindset knowledge of course not to be forgotten we very much try to share a mixture of theory and practice blended where the practice applies the theory in quite an immediate sort of way and of course a part of that is developing the confidence and self-belief to do that yeah i agree mm -hmm. it's one of the concepts that we are very focused on at seabay we feel like we need to give individuals a degree of self-belief in their creative abilities in order for them to use our technologies. Otherwise, it's a bit like, well, taking the horse to water, but you can't make it drink, to use that metaphor, meaning that people are not competent or have trust in their own abilities to use the technologies we are developing. What's your take on creative self-belief? How could it change people's behaviour? Um, I mean, there, I think there's a... There's a whole line of research on creative self-efficacy, isn't there? And developing creative confidence and competence are things that we try to do 
on the Michael. And it, I find it interesting that you are thinking about that, especially in relation to technologies designed to support pe people's creativity. Because I mean, one way we might kind of assume we could think about that will be to say, well, people might take up a tool and go, oh, brilliant, that's going to do all the creativity for me. But to me, that doesn't seem a good way to kind of approach things. I, I much prefer to look as a, I understand perhaps your work does at how technologies can augment human creativity. Mm -hmm. Having trust in one's own creative thinking abilities is an important part of that kind of dynamic mm -hmm. interaction with a software tool, I think. So we don't want yeah. to be kind of giving all of our creative agency to a tool. Mm. We want to be having some kind of effective creative collaboration with, with the technologies, I think. And it's fascinating how we might achieve that. Yeah, it's very much a partnership. It's in the spirit of human-centered AI in terms of how we encourage self-belief. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the books we invite people to take a look at as they're kind of preparing to join us is The Artist's Way, which very much invites people to develop their practices in terms of habits that can make it feel kind of easier to let their creativity out, if you like. So the ideas <laughs> of kind of morning pages and, and taking your inner child for a kind of creative visit. Um, so, the, yeah, there's there's all sorts of habits that we encourage people to sort of develop. I think the work that we do with students around reflection as well is probably an important part of developing people's understanding of their kind of strengths and in turn their confidence in, in those strengths, their, their creative um, strengths. So, yeah, I think there's a few things that we seek to mm -hmm. do with uh, students while, while they're with us. There's fascinating insight there around developing creative habits and practice rather like the artist's way, a daily practice mm. of keeping a diary or notes every day to encourage reflection, mm. something that can lead to everyday creativity. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, you mentioned mindset a, a, a couple of minutes ago. I mm. do think that's a really important part of being creative, adopting a creative mindset wherever possible. And I do think that that's the thing that takes quite a long time to kind of train oneself to do sort of fully ingrain into everyday activity as well as professional activity yeah indeed i i think a lot of your creativity work is characterized by its interdisciplinary nature i suppose it's reflected in the structure of the michael course does the research and teaching of creativity have to be dis interdisciplinary or does it come from a single discipline um so i think my first answer is no you don't you don't have to take an interdisciplinary approach to researching, understanding creativity. Of course, there's creative practitioners can be very focused on their own particular art form or, or form of creativity, and, and people can spend lifetimes developing their creativity in a particular field. And that, of course, is very valuable. Equally, I think the opportunity to adopt an interdisciplinary approach where we at least try to cross the boundaries between different disciplines, different forms of practice, if you like, can be very valuable. I learned today from a colleague about the notion of transdisciplinarity as well, meaning that we m might seek not only to cross boundaries, but to break down the boundaries between the different disciplines. That seems to me to be where we should, where I would love us to be kind of heading to being able to communicate and work effectively with colleagues in a really wide range of disciplines so that we can address the world's 
complex problems as mm -hmm. effectively as possible. I get the impression that the centre does that quite effectively. We have people from the arts, from journalism, from the social sciences, like psychology. We have engineers, health experts, people from business. They do seem to collaborate quite effectively. So something is going right in the centre. Absolutely. And I had a couple of centre meetings today and wrote to people afterwards to thank them for their time. And a number of them came back and went, it's always so interesting to join these meetings, always learn such a lot from colleagues with different perspectives. And that's been something I think that's kept a core group of people together for such a long time is that there's always more to learn. And one of the interesting, important things to learn, I think, is to know how to work with live with, understand each other's different perspectives. As you remember, one of the decisions right early on in the, um, the founding of the centre was not to seek a common definition of creativity to which we could all sign up. That just wasn't going to happen. We could have spent a long time trying to find one definition. It has felt much more productive, I think, to understand that each of the individuals, each of the disciplines represented in the centre probably have their own definitions, framings of notions relating to creativity and and I think the really interesting thing is to figure out how to work with and get the best out of all of those in, in depending on need depending on context. Yeah. I never get a sense that the students are bothered by the fact that they're getting presented with eight or ten different definitions of creativity across two semesters. That doesn't seem to be an issue for them. They accept that inherent ambiguity in cross-disciplinary work. Yes, again, a number of them sort of come back after several years out in the field, as it were, to say what valuable sort of intellectual training that is to be able to look at a single problem, challenge, project from multiple different perspectives. I think that can stand us in very good stead for thinking about some of the more complex challenges that, that we face at the mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. So I think not imposing a definition on the course on the centre is one of the fascinating lessons learned for interdisciplinary and dare I say transdisciplinary research and teaching. Are there other lessons which you've learned and applied successfully or perhaps successfully in working across disciplines? Hmm. For me, the main lessons are around kind of open-mindedness, diversity, respect for other points of view. I'm not like thinking a set of things of values. That, yes, we, we've had the same set of values for our master's course, the Michael, for over a decade now. I mean, it's interesting to think if you had a magic wand and you could change one thing to make all this interdisciplinary work around creativity even better. Do you have any idea what it would be? Well, my first instinct is to think about organisational structures, especially in the <laughs> higher education sector where organizations tend to be organized in a very siloed way around disciplines mm. in schools and that often mitigates unfortunately against colleagues working together across the disciplinary boundaries i think that's a real shame and i really hope that some of the thinking that's going on now about the universities of the future and changes that might be made in the higher education sector especially post the pandemic year or so mm. that we've just been through i really hope that some of that thinking is directed towards understanding how we might more effectively support interdisciplinary research education practice in the future yeah i would echo that we hope we're there to contribute. 
I think that if opportunities come to pass, many listeners are paying attention to that. So thank you. The other thing that strikes me about your work is over the last few years, it's been growing, it's becoming more international. As I said in the introduction, I talked about work that you're doing in Kazakhstan. You're working with different universities now in South Africa. So what's driving this, apart from lots of international travel when we can? What's driving this internationalisation of our creativity, research and teaching? Yes, thank you for mentioning it. And um, so we don't miss out colleagues elsewhere. We've worked with Kyrgyzstan and Armenia in the Creative Spark project, with Cuba on projects funded through the British Embassy there, and with colleagues in Africa, again funded by the British Council. And I think the motivations for me are around, well, sharing what we're lucky enough to have mm. in this part of the world, about learning from other parts of the world on how we might think differently about creativity and innovation. I'm always a believer that learning can go in kind of all directions. Like on, on the Michael, we have students from many different backgrounds, some more experienced, some less, mm. uh, from many different disciplines. And learning is always possible across the disciplines, across the generations, the more experienced, the less experienced, and vice versa. In a similar sort of way, I think the collaboration between UK and African universities, for example, is a genuine opportunity for learning to flow in both directions about how best to develop enterprise entrepreneurship skills in young people in these different contexts. So that's the kind of motivations, I suppose. And I find it very exciting to see how the kinds of things we've been doing as Centre for Creativity over the last decade or so translate into this range of different contexts. Yes, I think it's important, as you stressed, it's very much a two-way flow. Can you share examples of the two-way or even four-way directions of flow just to share how work in Kazakhstan or the African universities is shaping the view of creativity and innovation in the UK? Yeah, that, I mean, that's interesting. I've, and I've not taken time to sort of unpick that as yet. So it's quite hard to give very specific examples. I mean, there's the obvious kind of case of training academics in um, Armenia and Kyrgyzstan, for example, mm. to deliver lectures on design thinking, mm -hmm. on creative thinking, on creative climate and so on. It's been quite sort of clear in doing that, that the context there is quite different from the context here. And so there's always sort of thinking about how can design thinking work in that different context? The learnings that I've taken have been quite at quite a kind of personal individual level. So I watched, you know, one of our colleagues in Kyrgyzstan delivering the design thinking lecture that she has been doing there. And uh, yeah, I've picked up some great ideas at quite an individual level. It strikes me there's clearly a need globally for more creativity and innovation. That's what I pick up from when I look at the stamps in your passport. You mentioned Cuba, I'd forgotten about that. So there's clearly a need for more awareness training, more of a creative mindset, change skills, etc. And there's a shortage to meet that demand globally. Is that a fair reflection of what I observe in your work? Absolutely. You've got the organisations like the World Economic Forum talking about the need for creative thinking as one of the kind of top top mm. three skills that employees will be looking for in the coming couple of years. And at the same time, there's an increasing drive in many contexts to help young people in Cuba, Armenia, Kyrgyzstan, Africa mm -hmm. to develop their own skills in ways that make them well on the one hand more effective in the workplace but on the other hand more um, capable of developing their own enterprises as as entrepreneurs 
And do these learnings come back and inform how we teach creativity and innovation in the UK? You mentioned we have a very international set of students, but does it shape the way in which we say teach design thinking? Even in Europe, I've encountered the very Anglo-Saxon model it's viewed as. When I've tried to teach design thinking in Italy, that Anglo-Saxon do this and do that process model is often well smiled at, I'll put it that way. So I'm curious about how that might come back into our teaching. Yeah, no, you're right. And again, that's not something I've spent time kind of crystallising in my mind, really. I am, mm. I'm very aware with, as you say, this, the fact that students on our master's course come from such a wide variety of different kind of cultural backgrounds, I guess, um, and how the impact that that can have on working together in teams, for example, is very interesting. One of our students this year was looking at Hofstede's work on cultural differences and how mm that might affect the way we might apply work on um, culture and climate in different parts of the world. So yes, there's plenty to think about and I'm really hoping that the new programme in Africa, which we're structuring very deliberately around opportunities for equal collaboration between UK and African universities, I hope that that actually will help us to understand what kind of learnings can flow in each direction. It sounds like there's some fascinating research papers to be written in the near future. So moving on to a regular feature of our podcast, as you know, at CBay, our purpose is to build technology that supports and inspires people to be at their most creative when problem solving, collaborating and interacting every day. Creativity on demand, if you like. In this regular feature, I have three questions to test your creativity on demand, the clock starts ticking. And the first question is, what is the single most important thing you require in order to be creative? How long do I have to answer? Uh, All right, one word, time. Time, okay, that's a very, well, time efficient answer. I will accept that. It's probably the shortest response we've had so far. <laughs> Second question, if you could create any tech or app that could do anything real or imaginary, what would it be? Okay, now I did think about this a little bit in advance. And the thing that I would like if I could wave my magic wand would be a technology that could help us predict unintended consequences of the things that we do to try to help. For example, the technologies that we design. People are good is my, is my optimistic belief. The vast majority of us are trying to do good. How often does that unfortunately somewhere down the line lead to unintended consequences that we wouldn't have dreamt of? That's something that I am particularly keen to encourage people to think about in the course that I teach on the, on the Michael around technologies, creativity and innovation. We focus on AI and I think there particularly, there's so much potential, <laughs> so much to go so wrong if we're not very careful, I just think that we need to very purposefully stop and think about what the potential unintended consequences of some of the things we're kind of developing now might be. And so if, if we could mm. have a tech that would just do that for us at the press of a button, that would be fantastic. Sounds like we need to develop new AI algorithms to predict different futures with different inputs. Sounds like the ultimate operational scenario planning tool to me with my engineering hat on. But I think it's a great contribution. I actually thought you were going to say time machine in response to the second question. Yeah. Too samey to the first question. Alright, okay. <laughs> and the third question, if you could remove one thing from the world in order to make humans more creative, what would you bin? 
Okay, so the assumption that there is a right answer, by which I mean so many approaches to education, especially at the kind of school level where children are taught, certainly in the UK system for so much of the time, that there is a right answer which they must come up with in order to achieve high marks. How much does that, has that stunted the creativity of how many generations? So if we could just have more scope for education, allowing more freedom of thought, I think that could free up so much in terms of creative resource for future generations, especially if we think about the school level for children, I think. That's fascinating. And I would like to say that's the right answer to question three. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I fully agree. Fully agree on that one. Thank you, Sarah, for taking time to talk to us. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Absolutely. Always, always a pleasure to talk about our passions. So what's next for you? Are you able to travel yet to get out to meet your colleagues at these African universities or are you still locked down? Only just this evening, we've written a letter of support to colleagues in Cuba. So who knows, maybe in the new year, we'll manage to get back there. And, um, and of course, if we're able to travel to Africa and meet some of the colleagues we were working with there, that would be wonderful. We're just all kind of waiting to see and crossing our fingers. So let's, let's hope for the best. And if any of our listeners want to find out more about you and your work, is there an obvious source? Probably the um, expert pages on the Bayes Business School website would be would be the place to start. I'm always I always love to hear from people who are interested in collaborating. So yeah, do, please do get in touch. Thank you, Sarah. So if you do want to find out more about Sarah's work at these expert pages, the URL is available in the show notes accompanying this podcast. Thank you for listening to this Creative Tech Podcast, a regular series of conversations to shed light on issues of creativity and how technology can enable more effective ways for humans to be creative. Please take time to like the podcast and leave a review. It really does make a difference. You can also follow us on Twitter at CBay or on LinkedIn, Creativity Enabled by AI. Or you can drop us an email at cbay at city.ac.uk. And remember, all of these links are available in the show notes. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.